Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come now, come as you will. Teach us how to pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight, to reflect upon how you have chosen and called each and every one of us to share in your love and to also share in your salvific mission to the world. We ask you, Lord, to pour out your graces and abundance upon these, your people, that they might know and accept the gifts that you have given them and share them wildly with the world into which you are calling them. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. It is good to be with you all tonight. My name is Father Patrick Hyde. I'm the pastor and director of campus ministry down at St. Paul Catholic Center in Bloomington. Uh, I've been brought here tonight to talk with you about mission. I was saying earlier, in my head, I have like an 8 to 10 minute time clock, because that's normally what a homily is, and I have about a 30 minute time clock in my head, because I used to be a teacher, but a 15 minute window, I may go really long or really short, I'm not exactly sure, probably not short, let me just say that much. In preparation for most things, and almost every day, I pray for the repose of the soul of my grandparents, who have long since gone home to God. But in thinking about them, I also think about the church in which they lived. I think especially of my grandfathers. And when they came home from the Second World War, they were both, my one grandfather, my mom's dad, was an Army accountant, Army Air Force accountant down in Texas. And my other grandfather, my father's father, uh, saw a pretty hard bit of the war. Um, If you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, that's what my, my dad's dad basically did in Italy in the Second World War. But when they came home from the war, young men that they still were, they knew what they were about. Right, the last couple of nights you've been talking about relationship and identity. They didn't really have questions about who they were and with whom they were in relationship. They had a very strong cultural identity, a very strong Catholic identity. They lived in a world that was a slower pace than our world. And so when they came home, they were all about the mission of the church, of building parishes, of raising their children and raising them in the faith, of making Catholics and making them in the church, building a church, an institutional church that stood out against the background of their times. They knew what their job was. It was a church, a model, something to draw us to, something oftentimes that was physical and clear, but it was also a church of ministries and things to do. And so often our parishes model this type of church. There are a million things to do and every ministry is in need of a new person to help. But when we look at the church through this way, when we look at the church of what the church does, not only for its own people, but for the community, we start to lose our value and understanding of our relationship and our identity. Our mission, our function becomes primary. In this worldview, it's very easy to see that my value as a parishioner is, and therefore my value as a beloved son or daughter of God, is the service I provide to the local community or to the parish. When we look at our parish, when we look at our participation and mission in the church this way, 
it becomes very easy and we slippery and we quickly fall into the temptation toward rivalry and division. Well, I don't get as much money. My ministry isn't as important. We don't get as much ad space in the bulletin. And all of a sudden, instead of being about the work of salvation of souls and the building up of the kingdom of God, we're fighting amongst ourselves. And when we look at it, we have to look and say, yes, those ministries are of value and we should look to serve the church. But what is God calling me to do? Is he calling me to prioritize this particular ministry of the parish? Or is he calling me in some way, shape, or form to sanctify the world around me? The person who volunteers for everything at the parish has just as much value as the person who volunteers for nothing. They're both called to sanctity. They're both called to bring the gospel to everyone they encounter. But God is calling them in different ways. Things have radically changed since my grandfathers were starting families and building up the church in the mid-20th century. I would dare to say the world has changed more in these last 75 years than it did in the previous 750. Things have changed quickly. The institution, ministry-driven model of church and Catholicism is no longer viable. If we think we're going to build an institution, a, a building, a, you know, something that stands up against the world, guess what? There are a million other things trying to do the exact same thing. The world is in need, as St. Paul VI tells us in his uh, apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Nunciandi, of witnesses, of men and women, of lay people who are simply living the gospel and loving their neighbors who are bringing the gospel into every situation, into every relationship, both explicitly and also implicitly. That everything you do, everything we do, is fueled by our love of God and our desire to share that love with the people in the world around us. It doesn't mean that everything we do is, have I told you lately about Jesus, but it means in every conversation, in every interaction with another person, we bring who we know ourselves to be, and we share that, again, in many myriad ways with the people in our lives. But before I get into the specifics of what it looks like for us to get invested in the mission of the church, it's important for us to recognize our own struggles and difficulties. Because when we start on the mission of the church, we recognize very quickly and clearly, I am not enough. I struggle. I am broken. We often chase after the infinite. We are made for eternity. We are made for union with God. We are made for the infinite. But we try to fill that ache and desire in our heart with finite things. We erroneously believe that the finite things of this world will bring us to the infinite. We think that somehow power, honor, pleasure, or wealth, and the iterations of those are our career, our where we went to school, our, you know, our social lives, our relationships, drugs, alcohol, sexual intimacy, those things, when we try to find our root, our, we root our identity in them, they only create a greater hunger and thirst for us. But we oftentimes follow after this 
And we do it, and I, I tell our college students, you can, you can really challenge college students in a, in a rough way, so I apologize if this offends in some way, shape, or form. But when we do this again and again and again, we're insane. We're acting insanely. Because insanity is to do the same thing repeatedly and to expect different results. And every time we go to something of this world to slake our thirst for the infinite, we will only come back thirstier. We believe that somehow if we repeatedly try to fill our hearts with this thing of this world, that it will somehow change over the course of time. This time, that thing will, rec- will fill the ache of my heart. But only God can satisfy the aches and the desires of the human heart. Pope Benedict said this in his encyclical, Space Salvi, on the hope of salvation. Day by day, man experiences many greater or lesser hopes, different in kind according to the different periods of his life. Sometimes one of these hopes may appear to be totally satisfying, without any need for other hopes. When these hopes are fulfilled, however, it becomes clear that they were not in reality the whole. It becomes evident that man has need of a hope that goes further. It becomes clear that only something infinite will suffice for him, something that will always be more than he can ever attain. Let us say once again, we need the greater and lesser hopes that keep us going day by day, but these are not enough without the great hope, which must surpass everything else. This great hope can only be God, who encompasses the whole of reality and who can bestow upon us what we by ourselves cannot attain. So not only do we have this ache, this desire to share it and to experience the infinite and the eternal nature of God, we are explicitly made for that. We are called, created, and chosen for that, even in our brokenness. St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God chose you from before time began to fulfill the mission of the church right here and right now. How do I know that? Because you're alive. Because you're here. You wouldn't be here unless God willed it, and necessarily so. He desires you. You are necessary. You are unrepeatable. You are the gospel He desires to preach in the world. But so often we run from this because we are afraid, because we recognize our imperfections, because we see that I can't quite get there. A few days ago, I was watching with one of the other Dominican priests down in Bloomington, the first of the Lord of the Rings movies. And there's a great scene in the movie where Frodo says to Gandalf, you know, I wish that this ring, this evil thing, had never come to me. And Gandalf, the wise wizard, says, well, so do all men in such times. But ours is not to worry about that. It's simply to do with what is presented to us. We can spend so much time worrying about our imperfections, recognizing the problems in the world, that we then allow ourselves to be frozen by fear. But God is not calling us to that. God didn't create us for that. He created you because the world has a problem that you are the key to solving. 
And every time you say yes to the Lord in prayer, every time you say yes to the Lord in your service of others, you are the key going into the lock that only into which you will fit. The only thing that we can do, the only sane response is personal holiness, is taking up the banner, taking up the cross itself and saying, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, I will serve. Yes, I know myself to be imperfect, but I also know that out of your infinite love for me, you will give me what it takes to be and to respond in the way that you need me to be in this world. We are each created for this mission. And there's a unique personal mission for each of us. Yes, we are all called to be disciples, to make disciples, to fulfill the Great Commission, if you will. Yes, we are all called to go to Mass on Sundays and to go to confession regularly. There's a universal human nature in which we all share, of which we, all are, of which we are all a part, and of which we are all called to honor God in that. But you're the only husband or wife your spouse has. You're the only mother or father your children have. You're the only friend that's like you that your friend has. God created you for a mission, for a purpose, to be a disciple and to make disciples, not just to simply be a part of some sort of ministry. Even though you can do that. Those aren't mutually exclusive things, but you're not just here to perform a function. You are the church. You are the only Jesus people may meet today. People will often ask me, Father, do you always wear your habit? And of course, I almost always do. And they ask, well, why would you do that? I may be the only reason that that person thinks of God that day. Not because I'm a good person, not because I'm particularly good looking, but because my life radically witnesses to the gospel. And if there's one way, shape, or form I can share that with someone today, I will do it. Your mission field is not some crazy pie-in-the-sky thing. God has given it to you through your vocation. Are you married? Your mission is to bring your family, especially your spouse and your children, to heaven. Right? At your job. Right? Have you been working there for a long time? Do people know that you love them? And if not, why? In your friendships. Are your friendships Christ-centered? Do you challenge each other to be saints? Are you moving in the right direction? The Lord has put these people in your life and has given you the gift of faith. Why are those things not working together? Challenge yourself to see everything you do as an extension of the love that God has for you and desires to share through you in the world. You have a personal mission. What is it? The last two things I want to talk about are the needs that we have in fulfilling our personal mission. The first is divine intimacy. We need to know and love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And the second is we need virtuous friends. We need people in, there, in our world with us who are calling us to greatness. Divine intimacy is basically this. You need to pray without ceasing. Your entire life needs to be a prayer. Not only do we need to set aside time to be alone with God, we also need to be intentionally looking at everything we do as a means of glorifying God. If you're struggling in your prayer life, use Lent and pray for 1% of your day, which is 15 minutes. And you give 15 minutes to speak to God and to listen to God each and every day. As you're Lenten fasting for the intentions of someone else, 
If all you're doing is giving up bread for Lent and it doesn't lead you to pray and to love other people better, your fasting is in vain. But when it draws you closer to other people, when it makes you love God and neighbor better, you grow in that recognition of God's presence in your life and everything then can become more full with the love of God. We need to regularly commit to ourselves to weekly Mass and regular confession. When I say regular confession, every six to eight weeks. Let God work on your heart. It is only He and He alone through His grace that will empower you to overcome your own sins and to work up the courage to share His good news with the world in which you live. Make God the center of everything you do. And if He isn't the center, why? What can you do to put God at the center of your family, of your friends, of your work. It doesn't mean you have to put a crucifix in every room or to do something outlandish, but how can you lead with intention and purpose? And the last thing is we need virtuous, authentic friends. In the Proverbs we hear, iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. This is the beauty of Christian marriage, that marriage is a husband and wife loving each other and challenging each other and encouraging each other to be saints. But it's also the reality of friendships. We need people who will make us better, who will call us to more, with whom we can pray, upon whom we can call in difficult moments. And that sometimes is difficult to find. And sometimes we lose friendships in order to find real friendships. When I entered the Dominican Order, most of my college friends disappeared from my life, and rightfully so, we had a very uh, sin-based friendship. And that was very painful. But when I opened my heart to God and I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, I trust in you. All of a sudden, he gave into my life deeper friendships with people who were still there. And I came to know my Dominican brothers with great intimacy and joy. Here are men after my own heart striving to love the Lord and to share the gospel with others. Just because we lose in the short term doesn't mean we won't win in the long term. And God is never outdone in generosity. So when we prioritize those good, strong, virtuous friendships, they will be richer and deeper, and we will be richer and deeper for it. And so we have to ask ourselves, as we step into mission, what relationships need to grow, and what relationships need to end or change? God is calling this parish to dream to look at your own lives and your own hearts and your own experience of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, to see this as a moment of apostolic formation. Just as the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles in the upper room on Pentecost, he desires to descend upon you in this moment to send you forth to be a community on mission, to be a white-hot furnace of prayer, a factory of saints, a parish that would bring a smile to my grandfathers who sacrificed so much so that we could enjoy the opportunity to know and to love God. Our fathers, our grandfathers, our great-grandparents, as Matt was saying at the very beginning, that person who we don't even know, who passed on the faith, who shared the love of God, is responsible in some way, shape, or form for each of us being here. When we say yes to the Lord, when we step into that mission, when we see ourselves as his workmanship, when we see ourselves as the solution that God has created for the problems in our world, not because we are great, 
but because his love is great. The world becomes a better place. The church, a more beautiful and welcome place. And our lives are filled with greater meaning and purpose. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end.